it's true. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all, and he is better in every single way. I've come to declare to you this morning that Jesus is the greatest that you've ever known. He's all you need. He's all you could ever hope for. He's all you could ever want for. He loves you, which is totally unexplainable, but it is true. And that reality should fill and satisfy our hearts and lives. He is better, friends. He is better in every way. Lord, we thank you for worship, Lord. We worship you. We declare your praises today. We say thank you, Lord. We say thank you for being our God. There is no one like you, God. You are the best, and you're the one that we need, Lord. We just thank you for giving and giving giving of yourself to us, Lord. We are such broken and needy and sinful people, and we thank you for your grace that covers sin, for forgiveness that is open and available. We just thank you for your son and the love that we know in your son, Jesus, Lord. And I just pray today that for every person here listening in the sound of my voice, Lord, that today they would know, Lord, that you are better, and today their heart would believe. Lord, help us to be satisfied in you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would have freedom in our hearts and in our lives to speak to us, to work within us, to change us, to be the people you desire us to be, Lord. You are able to change us from the inside out. And we invite your spirit today to speak and to change us, Lord. We are open and willing, receptive hearts today for you. We thank you. Point our attention to Jesus, for he is all we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Yo, yo, what's up? It's great to see y'all. You you know where we're going. If you haven't been here, we're in the book of Hebrews. If you have been here, y'all should already be turning. Um, We are in the book of Hebrews today. I cannot even believe it. We are marching our way through this book, and now we are in chapter 9. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go and get them open to chapter 9. Verse 1, and if you've got your guide, you'll see on the screen that we are going to be on page 54 today. Regardless of if you have guides, I fully expect and ask that you please find a way to take notes, that you would be one who is eager to receive the word, to learn from the word, that you might teach your children, your friends, your neighbors, others, that you might use it as a resource later in your life. Uh, I just ask that you really engage this morning. Um, We have been in this study fulfilled talking about how Jesus has fulfilled all the promises of God uh, for the Messiah, the one who is to come to bring us back to God. And truly, because he has come, you now and I now can be fulfilled in him in every way. And the writer has unabashedly, unashamedly just been pointing our attention to Jesus, the whole structure of the book, he's been saying, Jesus is better than angels, he's better than prophets, he's better than any leader you've ever known, he's better than, than any priest who's ever been, his covenant is better, his ways are better, his person is better. Draw near to Jesus and in a, in a, in a world of doubt and discouragement, like the, the, the recipients of the letter that this writer of Hebrews was writing to, um, similar to the world that we live in, a world of skepticism or, or discouragement or doubt. We need the constant reminder and message of Jesus. We need to fix our eyes upon him who is perfect and wonderful in every way, who in his love poured himself out for us and all who believe. We need more awareness and love for Jesus. It's the hope of the human heart that God has provided for us. And so he's just been pointing our attention over and over and over. And this morning... We are going to be talking about how Jesus provides a better sacrifice. And that's the theme of today, a better sacrifice. Y'all remember we, we've been in the structure of the book. We kind of looked at his person, and we, we're now in the section where we've been looking at his priesthood. And this is actually the final, the final kind of argument or, or encouragement that the writer gives us in this section of helping us understand what who Jesus is as a priest, first of all, but, but what he's accomplished for us in his priesthood. And today, he's pointing our attention to the fact that Jesus has provided for you and for me a better sacrifice. I want to go and give you the main point of this morning so you can write it down, and then we're going to walk through the passage together. But it's this. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins once and for all time. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins once and for all time. 
I was preparing this week as y'all finished writing that down, and I was thinking about how, um, how many times in my life I have gone to this passage. It has been a source of hope and encouragement for me on the darkest of days and on the brightest of days. This passage, I don't know what it, what it is about this passage, but there is something about um, the passage that we're going to be looking at today that speaks so deeply and sweetly to my soul. Um, I immediately remembered um, several specific instances, which I won't go through this morning. But, I mean, I just, I, I cannot tell you enough how precious Jesus is. He is so precious. And what he has done for us in his giving of himself as a sacrifice for us, for our forgiveness, once and for all, is the most precious gift that you and I will ever, ever, ever receive. If you think about the greatest of physical gifts that you've ever received, this is just infinitely greater. There are almost no words. I've been almost trembling this week, and others who have watched me prepare could attest to this, preparing for this because it is such sacred ground. It is such a a treasured and, and just sweet spot of, of just relishing, praising Jesus for, for what he has done for us and giving of himself. Jesus became, don't let this just, just kind of go in one ear and out the other. This is, this is our eternity here. Our hearts and souls and lives, our families, our world is at stake in this reality, this beautiful treasured truth that Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and of my sins once and for all of time. Praise Jesus. We hadn't even started in the passage yet. So, oh, it's just so, it's so, so good. So I just asked for your attention this morning. We intentionally uh, wanted to, to, to put the teaching a little bit earlier today because we, we want to give adequate time for this and also a response. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. We just finished chapter eight, as you know, we're talking about how Jesus provides the new covenant. And he's gonna move now to talking about Christ's sacrifice because it's actually his sacrifice that is the basis of the new covenant. The new covenant is not possible if there's no sacrifice, perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's a natural movement that he goes right into speaking to us about what Christ has done in giving of himself. Well, he starts the first few verses, and we'll read these, um, but really the first 10 verses kind of, you're going to go, uh-huh, in the world where you get text messages on your phone and you can take an airplane to the other side of the world, some of these things almost feel antiquated, but they're not because they're pointing our attention to the one who's eternal and timeless and relevant for us today. So, so don't close your ears just yet. But I am going to tell you, these first 10 verses are about the earthly tabernacle and the old covenant system of sacrifice. So, so pay attention. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding um, the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, these things now we cannot speak in, in full detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly, regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. You might think, what is he talking about here? Well, he's he's helping us, he's setting up the, the fireworks 
of the glory of what Jesus has done for us in his sacrifice for our sins. By helping us understand the sacrificial system that was in place at the time that Jesus arrived on the scene, the earthly tabernacle and the old covenant sacrificial system. I've got a diagram that I want to just put on the screens for you to help you kind of understand what he's saying. He basically gets into this kind of description of the earthly tabernacle. This is the one that that God gave to Moses. We learned last week in chapter uh, that, you know, God prescribed this to be a copy, a shadow of the true tabernacle that was to come. This is not some random set of, of, of just stuff. It's actually meant to point our attention to the true tabernacle, the actual dwelling place of God. And he talks about this tabernacle and the different sections of the tabernacle. The first section is here on the right. We call that the holy place. And in the holy place, there were two main uh, furniture pieces. One was the lampstand. There were seven oil lamps that were affixed to a stand. The, there was no light in the tabernacle, and so these lamps provided the light. Okay, And we know... Um, that Jesus came and saying that he was the light of the world. There, there was also a tabernacle. I mean, excuse me, not a tabernacle. In the tabernacle, there was a table. And on the table was the bread of the presence. In other words, we call that sometimes the table of showbread. He talks about this here. The bread would be changed uh, weekly by the priest. Be there to symbolize the very significance of God's provision for us always. And then you have the altar of incense. The altar of incense is there uh, just uh, next to the, the curtain in the holy, of holy place. But the altar of incense there was, was burned and these, the, the, the incense was rising up always before God into his, his presence. But then you have a, a second place. You've got that first place, the holy place, but then you have this curtain, which it is only shown half here to help you see what's on the other side, but this curtain would divide a second place that's talked about here in this passage. And that place is the holy of holy places. It's the place where God's very presence dwelt. And inside the holy of holies, you had the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark that inside was the perfect ordinance, the law of God reflecting his perfect holiness, his splendor, his glory in every way. Over the ark, those angels, the cherubim that that signified his glorious nature in the heavenly place. And then he goes on to say, knowing this, um, in verses six six and seven, he basically says, just remember what's happening in the earthly tabernacle. What you have is perpetual motion. Every single day, these priests were busy, so busy, making constant offering for sin, taking the blood of goats and animals and bulls into the holy place and and making offering for sin. They were changing the oil and the lamps and changing out the bread and constantly burning the incense. And then one day, a year, it says in verse 7, there was that, that day of atonement that we know from Leviticus 16 was the day that the only one day a year was the high priest, the one chosen by God to, to be the leader of the priest, the intercessors between people would go into the very holy of holies, that second place where God's presence dwelt with the offering for him and his own family, their sins, but also the offering, the goat offering of the sins of all the people. And he went in with that goat, the blood of that bull and the blood of that goat, and he would make atonement for sin. And you go, okay. Well, then in verse eight, he helps you understand why this is so significant. He says, by this, friends, Look at your Bible. The Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. So the first thing that we can learn is the Holy Spirit indicates to us through this earthly tabernacle system this. I think it's on the screen. There it is. During the Old Covenant era, there was no means for God's people to enter into the presence of God. A barrier constantly stood in place. 
He's saying if you look at the earthly tabernacle, you get a, a visible picture of what sin does in our lives. Sin separates us from God. If you look at why, you ask, why is there a separate section that's divided off by this curtain that's unapproachable? Only one day a year can one timidly go in to make offering for the sacrifice of sins. It shows us that there was no means for you and for me to enter into the presence of God. A barrier constantly stood in place that separated us from the enjoyment of God's presence. The writer says the Holy Spirit speaks to us through this system to help us see that about our own hearts, lives, and the condition of our sinful condition. Secondly, we learn this. We see in verse 9, it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The second thing the Holy Spirit shows us in all of this system is this, that the sacrificial system was not able, it was just impossible, it was not able to remove one's own personal awareness of guilt and sin. Yes, there was temporary provision for the covering of sin, but there was no full and final cleansing of sin from the conscience. In other words, the constant motion and activity of the tabernacle showed that there was constant awareness of sin. It never seemed to end. Sacrifice after sacrifice, offering after offering, remedy after remedy, it never seemed to end. While, yes, it made a temporary provision for sins to be covered, it is clear in this system, by the continual motion of it, the constant need to come forward, to be aware of one's guilt and problem, it is clear that there was no provision for the full and final cleansing of the conscience. There was no purity. Yes, you could wash your body, but that water was not touching deep enough. It was not washing the soul. You could cover your physical body with blood, but we needed a blood to cover sin that runs deeper than our flesh. You see what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit tries to get our attention, pointing our, our, our focus to the the deep need and problem that we have with God before the arrival of Christ. So he's set it up, you see. And now he's going to come on the scene and guess what he's going to say? But, but Jesus has provided a better sacrifice than any sacrifice has ever been known in the old system or earthly tabernacle. He's provided a better sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. That's our main point. Now, he's going to prove this in three main ways. And he's going to start this argument. We're just going to walk through them. It's actually four main ways. I just said three to make you feel better. But it's actually four. All right. Oh, Jesus is precious. This is not an intellectual exercise, friends. This is a rejoicing of our hearts. Let me tell you why Jesus is better, the author says. The first reason we're going to look at is that the blood of the offering of Jesus was Christ's own blood rather than the blood of animals. We're going to see this in verses 11 through 22. Why is Jesus' sacrifice better for the blood of his offering was his own blood, not the blood of of animals. If you've got your Bibles, starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared, I love this. He just, he left us hanging there in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Praise Jesus. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, circle this verse, indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is amazing. The focus here, why is Jesus' sacrifice better? Because this offering was not made with the blood of goats and bullfriends. This offering was made with Christ's own blood. You get a picture, don't you? You get a picture of the day of atonement from Leviticus 16. A picture of that day when the high priest would go in with the offering. First, the bull offering that would cover for his own sins and the sins of his family. Second, for the goat offering the, the one that was killed, he would take two goats. He would kill one for the sins of all of the people. He would take the other one, keep it alive, put his hand on it, uh, confess all the sins of the people, and then set that one free. They'd go out and burn a heifer. They'd take the ashes of that. They'd sprinkle it all over the tabernacle for purification. But he would take the, the blood of these, this goat and bull, these animals, and he would walk into the earthly tabernacle, the earthly place made with human hands, where the presence of God dwelt to make atonement for our sins. But he goes, friends, something better has happened in Jesus. (laughs) Something far better. For we have a great high priest whose name is Jesus. He's the eternal son of God. And friends, he takes on the role of priest so perfectly. And friends, no one could have ever seen it coming, but how beautiful is this, that when he walks in, he doesn't walk in with the blood of goats and bulls. Friends, the blood of animals can never take away your sins. There's got to be a a price paid because we are humans. Human death is required for human sin. And friends, Jesus, he doesn't take in the blood of goats and bulls. He takes his own blood. He died for us. He doesn't kill another. He is killed himself. And he takes his own blood and he marches in, not the earthly holy of holies made with human hands, but he marches into the very heavenly place of God's presence and he presents his sacrifice for us. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He went with his own blood. All the other sacrifices can only deal with the external. But Jesus is dealing with something far greater here. He's making a sacrifice by giving of his own blood that would deal with our hearts. Praise Jesus. 
what height of love? What height of love? Have you ever, have you ever known such love as this? Can you ever even imagine a priest who would appear because you come into the court saying, I've sinned, I'm broken, I've done wrong, I need to make myself right with God. And instead of the priest killing an animal, which that animal's never gonna do anything but temporarily alleviate uh, your problem, temporarily cover your sin, instead of doing that, the priest says, I will give my life for you. I'm not gonna sacrifice an animal, I'll sacrifice myself. Friends, you have never known this kind of love. Your savior, Jesus, who is your great high priest, he loves you so much that he didn't sacrifice the blood of another. He went into the holy place with his own blood on your behalf for the forgiveness of your sin. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He's wonderful. He's better in every way. And in case you're wondering, does he actually stand in heaven with actual blood? No, he's, he's presenting himself there because of his sacrifice. He's saying, in light of what I've done for them, there can be atonement for sin. Secondly, why is Jesus' sacrifice better? Here's why. By the way, I need just go back real second, one quick second, because I didn't cover the second part of that passage. Okay. I just realized this because he says, if he, he's arguing there from the lesser to the greater, Paul said in verse 13, if, if the blood of goats and bulls can, can, can purify the flesh, how much more can the blood of Jesus purify the conscience? You see what he's saying? If, if we know the blood of, of goats and bulls can do that, how much more is Jesus able to do that? He is able. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. But then he gets into this discussion about the, the will and the blood mediating the covenant. Y'all, y'all remember this? In verse 18, therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. What he's talking about, just in case you're wondering, is Exodus chapter 24, verses three to eight. Moses' inauguration of the Sinai covenant. And what happened is after the covenant was given, God instructed Moses to take the blood and sprinkle it over all the people. And what he's saying is there was no covenant ever made in the Old Testament system that was made without the shedding of blood. You're not going to find a place that a covenant is made without a ratification, a sacrifice that would ratify, that would secure that covenant. For where a will is involved there, it's got to be a death. That's what he's talking about. The, the sacrifice always guaranteed the covenant. And even the, the law of Moses was, was sprinkled with blood to ensure its, its goodness. And so what he's saying here is all of this has been meant to point our attention not to the blood of animals and goats and bulls, but for all eternity, God has been working to bring us to the place that we would see what he is going to do in his son and the blood that flowed freely from his sides for the forgiveness of sin. And we would understand what God is doing here. He is covering our guilt. He is covering our shame. He is making atonement. He is providing for the law. It is through the blood, friends, that there is forgiveness and availability to God. It's through the blood. All of this meant to point us to Jesus who didn't show up with the blood of animals but showed up with his own blood. Now we move to the second point. Why is Jesus' sacrifice better? It is better because of this. That the place of the offering was in heaven rather than the earthly tabernacle. The place of the offering was in heaven rather than the earthly tabernacle. Verse 23 and 24, we say thus, it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves are with better sacrifices with these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. What we see is that Christ in his high priestly ministry, he not only shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins, but where he made atonement for that friends, he didn't walk into that earthly tabernacle and cover that golden ark, which was merely a copy a shadow, a symbol of the presence of God, of the holiness of God, of the splendor of God. 
He didn't, he didn't go in and deal with the, the actual loaf of bread there, or the actual candles there, or the actual incense there, or the actual Ark of the Covenant there. Jesus poured out his own blood and then went into the heavenly place, the true tabernacle, not the one made with hands. He went into the very presence of God not pouring his blood out over that gold ark was merely symbolic of God's presence, but he showed the perfection of his sacrifice in the very presence of God. He is there with the very prayers, not the incense smoke that reflected the prayers of the people, but the very prayers of the people ascending before the throne of God, not the physical manna that sat there on the table. He is there with Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides He is there with the very light of the world, the light that we know in Revelation. We won't even need the sun because we'll be in the presence of God. Jesus walks into that heavenly place, the true tabernacle, which the earthly one was just meant to reflect, and he presents himself and says, Father, forgive them. Praise Jesus. He's better. His sacrifice is better in in every way. Third, we see this. This sacrifice of Jesus is better because the offering was eternal. Unlike the continuing sacrifices of the old covenant priest. Verses 25 to 28. We read this. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. As the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then... He would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, there is a substantial difference between our high priest and his sacrifice than the ones that had ever been known before his time. Here's the author's pointing out one of the main reasons. He says, Jesus did not offer himself repeatedly like all the priests that you've ever known. Every priest for all of history up to this time, every single day, like we've already talked about, we're making offerings and sacrifices and trying to atone for sin. Even that day of atonement offering, that most holy offering where they went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for all the sins of the people had to be repeated every single year. There was never an end. Seemed never to be enough. When was the finish? But not so with Jesus. For he appeared, verse 26, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. (laughs) This is so important and so good. Can you imagine the hundreds of animals that you would have to sacrifice in your lifetime to try to make atonement for sin? How many animals would it take for you, knowing your private life, knowing your dirty heart, knowing the brokenness of your past and and all of that? I mean, how many many animals... (laughs) would bring full and final cleansing. Think of the hundreds of animals that would have been sacrificed by each family, by each person. Think of the thousands of animals that have been sacrificed over time. Religions around the world today still have this this DNA in them trying to figure out how to appease the conscience. Even in Africa, where we'll go in a few weeks, they, they still sacrifice animals to this day to try to bring relief to their own burden of their heart. How many animals would it take Think of the hundreds of thousands from the beginning of time to the time of Christ. Even the week that he died, the thousands of animals that were pouring into the temple to be killed and slaughtered 
And yet this would still have to go on and on and on and on. But friends, when Jesus came and he chose to lay down his life, remember John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. From the onset of his ministry, he was identified as the unblemished, the perfect Lamb of God, the one who all these animals were meant to foreshadow and to help point our attention to. And friends, when he laid down his life, he did it once for all time. His sacrifice was so perfect and so complete that it would never, ever have to be repeated again. All of the sins of the world, past, present at the time of his death, and future to the time that he would come again, would be paid for, atoned for, in a single offering, Jesus on the cross. That's why, just before he breathed his last breath, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. There is no more animal that has to die. There is no more continuous sacrifice that has to be made. There's no more day of atonement coming forward. This is the ultimate eternal redemption provided by our great and good and loving God. It is finished. His sacrifice, friends, once and for all time. And it says that Jesus doesn't have to die repeatedly year after year after year. For just as is appointed for every single man to die once and to face judgment. Friend, you will die and you will face judgment. The Bible speaks very clearly that you will die and you will face judgment. Every person, it's an inescapable reality for all of us. But in the same way, Jesus being man and also God, he died once. He's not going to die again and again. He's saying this sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is full and it is final. Once and for all, for all eternity. Praise Jesus. It's finished. It is finished. Another interesting thing in that passage that we just read is there's three, three times it mentions that Jesus appears. And it's just something that maybe you could hold in your heart. Maybe it would help you understand what Christ has done. But it says three different times that Jesus appears. It speaks of a past appearing, a present appearing, and a future appearing. And I bring this up just because in verse 27, 28, we see twice he talks about disappearing. And I just think it's interesting that he uses that language because he's helping us understand the fullness of what Christ has done. For in the past, in real history, 2,000 years ago, Christ did appear to put away sin by sacrificing himself for the forgiveness of those who believe. Right now, Christ is, even at this very second, appearing before God, our Father, by his own wounds, interceding for those who are in him. He appears even today in the presence of God by the basis of his own blood to intercede for us in our redemption. Praise God. And in the future, it says, verse 28, so Christ having offered once, uh, been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. He appeared once for sin. He appears today. And friends, he will appear again. Thank you, Jesus. Fourth and finally, we see the sacrifice of Jesus is better because the offering that he made in giving of his own body and blood can fully and finally cleanse us of our sin rather than a temporarily cover it. We see that his offering is better because his sacrifice can fully and finally bring cleansing and forgiveness of our sins rather than to temporarily cover it. Chapter 10, starting in verse one. For since the law has been, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every single year. For it is impossible, circle it, 
For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Friends, he's saying simply, the law could never do it. You're never going to be good enough. No animal is ever going to be perfect enough. No, no attempt at sacrifice or offering is ever going to do it for you. See, see what he's saying, the system points out this reality. Why else would they have to go back again and again? Obviously, it was not perfecting the conscience. It was covering, but it was not cleansing. In fact, all of the system was designed to do, verse 3 says, is to bring a reminder Every time you had to go find that perfect animal, you had to pay for it. You had to take it to the temple. You had to see it put to death and the blood poured out for your sins. Every single time, it was a reminder that your sins hadn't been fully and finally cleansed, forgiven. I mean, it was just a constant nag that there has, there's got to be something else to come. There's got to be someone else to come to make provision for us. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But then, verse five, he says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, And when he said the above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He's quoting here from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 to 9. And he's saying, you know, it's not that the old covenant system was bad. The problem with it, like we talked about last week, was our hearts. He sacrifices and offerings I've not desired. In other words, I don't want your religious behavior. I have always wanted your heart. God's never just wanted the animal. He's never just wanted you to show up and, okay, I've done my religious duty. I've done what I need to to make atonement for sins. No. God is not after your religion. He's after your heart. God has always wanted you, friend. Not your behavior. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. And the old system was never going to do it. Thus, Jesus arrives and says, a body you have prepared for me. Jesus comes to inaugurate a new covenant a new covenant that would not be about our behavior, but would be about his perfect behavior for us, his perfect sacrifice for us, his promise to come again for us, about his work deep, deep inside of us to transform us from the inside out. This is a new covenant that Jesus is making with us by his blood, a body you have prepared for me. I have come to do your will, oh God. And friends, What the blood of goats and bulls could never do in bringing forgiveness to your sins, Jesus can do. Jesus can fully forgive you and he can finally cleanse you. You know, a psychiatrist, an animal offering, a good counselor might help you to deal with the feelings of your guilt to alleviate the symptoms of your shame, but they will never take away your guilt and they will never be able to take away your shame. Only Jesus can take away your guilt and your shame. No psychiatrist can do that. Only Jesus can do that. No animal can do that. Only Jesus can do that. No toy or trinket or huge bank account or luxury vacation can do that. Only Jesus can do that. You can run, you can hide, you can cover it, but no one can fully help you to deal with your guilt and shame other than Jesus because no one provides forgiveness fully and finally other than Jesus. He is our mediator between us and God and he has done it all, friends. 
He has done everything necessary in giving of his own self on the cross to provide forgiveness for the deepest part of your heart where you desperately need it. For by a single offering, what a beautiful verse, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, you've got to memorize it this week, you've got to memorize it this week, you've got to memorize it this week, what a beautiful verse. By a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Friends, we are still a work in progress, but when we trust Christ, he brings a full cleansing and forgiveness into our hearts and lives that will last into all eternity, not because of what we will do or how good we'll ever become, but because he is good and he loves you and he gives it by his grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at a service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There it is. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these friends, there is no longer any offering for sin. What he's saying Jesus provides a full forgiveness and a final cleansing, which no one else for all of time has ever been able to do or will ever be able to do, only Jesus. For the priest, they stood up every day. Their work was never finished, but Jesus, when he finished his work and he marched not into the earthly tabernacle, but into the heavenly tabernacle, he sat down. The first priest in all of scripture that we read, he sits down. His work is finished. The only thing that remains is that you and I would believe. It's finished. That's why he quotes from Psalm 110. That, that psalm of victory. The song of declaration that he is the anointed king over all. He reigns. He finished the work. And now he's got all power and control in his hands to guarantee for those who believe that it will be so. You will be saved. Praise God. And then he quotes again from that verse in Jeremiah chapter 31, which he just quoted from in chapter 8, saying, the Holy Spirit bears witness to this. Remember when he spoke before that this day was coming, the covenant that we'll make where he'll put his law on our hearts and he will write them on our mind and he will remember their sinless, I mean their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Friends, that day is here because of Jesus. The day is here. But we don't have to try to work for God. What can I do for God today to make him happy, to make him not mad, to appease my sin? What can I do to rid my guilt? Friends, that day is gone for Jesus has already done it all. He's done it all. Now he can change us from the inside out. He is powerful today to do what you can never do for yourself. He can work deep in your heart to put his spirit there again, to bring you back in a relationship with you, to forgive your sin, to cleanse you of your unrighteousness, and to once again make you the person of God that he wants you to be from the inside out. And he's promised he'll never remember our sins anymore. And friends, where there is forgiveness of these, what offering remains? Let's don't try to please God with our actions. Let's keep giving him our hearts because he's fully and finally forgiven us. Jesus, friends, provides a better sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins once and for all time. We've now come to the time where we're gonna respond. We're just gonna take some time and just respond to God. I put some questions here as, Some of our musicians come back on the stage and we just move back into our time of response. I want today to be utmost 
a personal day between you and God. It's not enough just to hear this, but what I want to know is have you experienced this? Have you experienced the full and final cleansing of Jesus? Have you ever known such amazing love? You might be here today or listening online and you're searching for love. You're searching for hope. You're searching for meaning and purpose. You're searching for a resting place, an anchor for your soul. Friends, I just want to tell you, look no further than Jesus. If you have a God who would lay down his life for you, friends, what lavish love is that? You will never, ever, ever need any more love in your life than the the love that is poured out by our God for you in Jesus Christ. Friends, I just encourage you to come and receive from his love today. Secondly, do you know the full and final forgiveness and cleansing of Jesus? Are you struggling with shame today, guilt, hidden sin? You're trying to figure out, how do I just move on to the next thing so I can get rid of the consciousness of myself, friends? There's nothing in the world that will help you other than Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and recognize that it is he and only he who can forgive, completely forgive your sin and cleanse your conscience. It is he and only he. There's nothing that you can do. It's only what he has done. Come and receive from him. Trust him. Ask him today to forgive you and to cleanse you. Are you still, thirdly, trying to make sacrifices for God when Jesus has already done everything needed to bring you back to him? Are you living your life every day fretting if you've done enough? Friends, you'll never do enough. You will never do enough. Jesus has done enough for you. It's all about his grace. Live in light of the freedom of his grace. Receive as you put your trust in him. And fourth and finally, do you cherish Christ appearing? And are you eagerly waiting for the day that he comes back to save those who are waiting for him? Spend some time with God now.